So firstly, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 to 22. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as a chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple to the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Secondly, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 to 25. Let us hold unswervingly to the hopes we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. It's been a little while since I've been up here at the 11 a.m., so it's good to be here again, to be worshiping with God's people here at Knox, and to have this opportunity to speak about the church. Let's pray together before I do that. God, we are thankful. We're thankful for this community here at Knox, where we get to experience a piece of your work in the world, your work forming the church. And so we pray that as we delve into this topic together, that you would speak to our hearts and make it clear that it is you speaking. We pray that you would use this word, your word, and that you would transform our minds and work through our lives. And we pray that the meditations of all of our hearts and the words of my mouth would be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I don't think that it's actually difficult to imagine that at one point or another, we've all had problems with the church. Maybe it was this community at Knox, Maybe it was a community of the church somewhere else entirely. Maybe it was just an impression we had without any experience of the church at all, and it was purely based on what our culture and those around us told us to expect of the church. I think that for an increasing number of people, the church has become the news articles about mismanaged resources and abusive systems of power. Or for these people, the church has become a relic of bygone ages, beautiful buildings to visit on vacation, as if ruins to some pagan god. Or the church has become just a cultural curiosity for occasions like Easter and Christmas with no bearing on our day-to-day life, a place that we might go to because we've always gone there, or because it really does make mom happy when we go with her. And so the question this week, what about the church, is really a big one. And it's a really open one, too, because assuming that you've decided to follow Jesus, and assuming that you're engaging with this word of the Bible as God's word for your life, and you're figuring out how the pieces of your life continue to fit into this much bigger, grander story that God is telling about the whole world, At some point, you've got to wrestle with this question of whether or not the church is worth engaging with. 
I think it's an oddity of our hyper-individualistic time that the notion of one following Jesus does not necessarily have anything to do with being part of a community of Jesus followers. But this notion, nevertheless, is one that exists. A colleague and a classmate of mine recounted to me the story of a former parishioner of his who left his church community because she figured that she has a personal relationship with Jesus, and she has a copy of the Bible, which is God's word. So what more could she possibly need? What could a pastor or other Christians do for her that she could not do on her own with the Son of God and the Word of God at her side? That line of reasoning seems at once both sound, because surely I, a theological student and young pastor, can offer no more than the indwelling of God's Spirit and God's written Word can offer, and yet at the same time terribly and troublingly unsound. At various points over the last week, I tried to reorient this alpha question of what about the church to what about family? And the absurdity when I phrased it like that seemed to bubble to the surface. Can I not be a Christian without the church? Could just as easily be, can I not be a reno without my family? And the answer is at once both that I can, because I can bear the name Reno and go on with life just fine without my family. And I cannot, because it's the relationships to the larger whole that gives the name its meaning. In the same way that my family name loses all meaning apart from the larger whole, so too the identifier of Christian begins to lose its meaning apart from within the church. If to be a Christian is truly to be a follower of Christ, and the church is indeed the body of Christ, then the Christians should find themselves at all times inexplicably drawn to the church, even the church as it is presently and imperfectly practiced here and now. I remember as I was growing up, I saw a church just destroy a pastor, really, just hurt a pastor beyond what anybody should reasonably expect other people to do to them. And I remember thinking to myself, who in their right mind would subject themselves to that? And I remember resolving in my heart that Christians can be just as mean and just as hard-hearted as anything I had experienced outside of the church. And I found myself called constantly back into communities of people who can be mean, even as I can sometimes be mean, and who can be unthinking, even as I can be unthinking, and who at the same time, for some reason, I love, and who I want to serve, despite all the flaws that I have seen, and who I hope and I pray continue to love me and desire to serve me, despite all the flaws that they can see in me. And I think when contemplating this sermon, my greatest temptation was to make this sermon a sales pitch for the church to tell you all the ways that the church is really quite good for you, the reasons why you should choose to be a part of the church even when you don't want to. Because I am tempted to buy into that same individualism which causes some people to turn away and to try to use that same logic to draw people back in, to say that the church has so much to offer to you, 
or it's for your own good to be a part of this. And while I'm not saying that that's not true, I think that these things are not the most important things about being the church. And sometimes it may not seem that you've benefited very much at all from this community of the church. Because like any community or any relationship, sometimes it's going to be messy and it's going to be hard to be the church. And sometimes you may even regret the commitments that you've made, maybe for a fleeting moment or maybe for whole seasons of your life. But even in those moments when things are not going how you want them to be going, when things aren't going how we would like them to be going as the church, there's goodness to be grasped and there's God to be encountered. I think these couple of verses from Hebrews that Kia read for us begin to point us in this direction of slowly realizing that perhaps, just maybe, the church really isn't about us. Hebrews 10 verse 24 says, let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds. Let us consider how to provoke one another. That means that I have to stop thinking about myself. I have to stop worrying about me and the good that I'm getting out of this community. And instead, I need to actively consider how I can help you, how I can serve you, how to provoke you toward love and good deeds. As a member of the church, my concern needs to move away from myself and move toward all of you. And this isn't a verse for pastors. This book isn't a book to pastors. This is a verse and a book written to Christians. It's for all of us. And the author continues in verse 25 that we should not neglect to meet together as some are in the habit of doing, but we should encourage one another as the day approaches. Because our meeting together is for our mutual encouragement. We meet and my focus is on encouraging you pointing you in those directions of love and good deeds. And your focus is not about how you will be encouraged today, but your focus as well is on encouraging each other, encouraging this body together. There is a profoundly important move of the locus of concern, always away from ourselves and always toward each other, away from our own needs and our own desires, toward the needs of those who we encourage together in the body that gathers. In this way, you are profoundly important to the church. You matter. The church needs you. Because you have unique gifts and a unique voice. You can provoke and encourage us in ways that nobody else quite can. You have a unique experience of the world which we can benefit from together, which we can learn from, which we can together discern God's presence in. So you are a gift to us here in this place. And you are a gift to that body which calls itself the church all around the world. While we may be tempted at times to answer the question, What about the church with all the ways that the church benefits us? We must remember that we are a part of that church and we are a benefit to the rest of it in ways that it is sometimes difficult for us to imagine.
but it is absolutely crucial for us to remember. You are vital, even when you don't feel like it. And you play a key role in provoking others in this community and on this journey with you toward love and toward good deeds. And so when we offer you opportunities to serve this body by setting up chairs in the morning or by serving our children in Sunday school, that's an opportunity to be the church. We are inviting you and encouraging you to encourage children who need to know that people love them beyond their parents and to encourage people who are visiting here that there's someone who will set up your chair for you and put all the things you need on it and say welcome to you when you come. Because Sunday morning may be for your encouragement, but much more it's an opportunity for you to encourage others. So the church isn't about you. And I think the second scripture passage for today from Ephesians 2, 19 to 22 leads us further and in another key direction for our understanding of the church and our relationship to it. Paul writes of this new relationship we have with one another as citizens and as saints, as members of God's household. We are God's children together, brothers and sisters, and this is why considering how our connections to our families define us helps us to unpack this week's question, because the church is a family which defines us. I had some experiences of this uh, this past July as I was traveling by train from Halifax to Winnipeg and all sorts of places in between, and I was traveling alone because the deal I got was pretty quick to sell out, and so traveling completely by myself. And I found that Wherever I went, the places that I felt the most welcomed, most loved, where people seemed the most interested in what was happening in my life and what this crazy trip was about, were the churches that I visited. Those churches where I could participate in Sunday mornings and churches that I just popped my head into during the week, drawn, of course, by historic buildings and beautiful architecture but always lingering longer than I thought I would because of the people that I met while I was there. It was a wonderful and admittedly, at times, unexpected experience to begin to recognize the ways that participating even in this church here at Knox and all other local churches around the world continues to connect you and connect us, even spiritually, to the church which is found all around the world. But then there's a switch in this passage in Ephesians. Paul moves from these national and familial metaphors toward the temple. And that's the image that I'd really like to unpack together this morning. The temple, of course, you know, was the place where God's spirit dwelled. And through Jesus Christ, the church is built together spiritually into a dwelling place for God. But what struck me as I read this passage again and again is that God did not dwell in Israel's temple for the benefit of the stones. He didn't. The stones got no benefit from God's dwelling there. The temple was primarily, of course, for the Israelites, but it also had a special court for the Gentiles, for non-Jewish people to come. God dwelled in a temple even at that time for the benefit of the world. And this is another key aspect of the church. Not only are we participants in this community for the benefit of each other, but we exist in this community for the benefit of the world. 
there's this beautiful vision in Ezekiel 47. And it's this vision of the temple, and water is trickling out from it. Just a tiny little stream. It fits under the threshold of the door, it says. Water is coming from the temple. And the further out Ezekiel goes, the deeper the water gets. It's at his ankles, and it's at his knees, and he can wade through it. And finally, he can swim in it. And God says that this river brings life. This river is a river full of the water of life for all the people that it reaches. It starts at the temple, certainly. There's no question about that. But it gets deeper the further away it goes. It becomes more rich and more powerful. And it's not for the temple. It's for the world at large. It's for the fish that will live in it and the fishermen that will make their livelihood by it. It's for the trees that will be rooted on its shores and the nations that will receive their food from those trees. This river is for the life of the world. This water is for life and the temple is for all people. Our God is for the world. So as the church, we are being formed together as a temple for God in this world. Not for our own sakes, not for the sake of being a temple, but for the sake of the world. And that temple is really, really, you need to know this, not for our sakes alone. It is for the sakes of our neighbors and our colleagues. It's for the sake of that stranger down the street and for people who we may never meet. As participants in this life of the church, we learn the patterns of good life together and we share it freely with other people. Because as God indwells us, we should find that our desire to love and to serve the other, to bring water into desert lands and life into places of death and mourning, those desires grow too. Because that's the kind of work our God is doing and has always been doing. In the church, we encounter God, certainly, and that's a good enough reason to come. But more than that, by each other's encouragement and, const and the constant indwelling of God's Spirit, we are challenged to go and to be deep wells of living water, to be rushing rivers of life for the sake of still others who may not be a part of the church, to show God's loving presence to people who may have never imagined it, and as a community, to make that space for others still to encounter God. Because fellow citizens and saints, the church really isn't about you. And it really isn't about us either. It is about a world that God loves and has called you to love and to serve. It's about the community that God has called to participate in the renewal of all things that needs your unique gifts and your unique encouragements toward love and toward justice. This morning, I was walking through U of T's St. George campus. And as I was walking through campus, I saw a mother and her son, and the little boy was wearing a Knox Overnight Camp t-shirt. And they were walking away from the church. They weren't coming to church with me. But it was a helpful reminder for me that this church reaches beyond its walls. That this church is not for the people who gather here, but it's for the people who live in our neighborhood and need a place to take care of their kids in the summer, where they know their kids feel safe and loved. 
seeing that little boy this morning happily wearing a shirt that he just got last week, and he's already wearing it on Sunday, reminded me that this place has a river of life flowing out from it. That this place and all of you as the church, we're not here for us. And we need to remember that. Because we will still have that deep temptation from time to time to wonder what exactly the church has done for us lately. To consider how we may be better off on our own, perhaps with Sundays being a little bit more flexible or with fewer commitments through the week. To think about our relationship with God and to consider that it may not be impacted by distancing ourselves from this anachronism of an organization and moving towards something which we perceive will be better for us and for our lives today. And I'm not going to lie to you, I imagine we will still be hurt from time to time because the church is going to continue to muddle its way through caring for and encouraging one another. And I know from my family and I know from my experiences of the church that people that care for each other hurt each other sometimes because we get it wrong. And we're still going to muddle through participating in God's larger vision and mission in this world. And we'll still get that wrong too. We may still hurt others, but we have the promise that God continues to build us closer and closer together. The temple takes clearer shape. The body learns how all its parts come together and uses them to its fullest potential. When we are hurt, we may yet recoil, and we may be tempted to remove ourselves entirely. But we should always lean into God's invitation not to give up the practice of meeting together, of meeting each other, and to continue to serve our brothers and sisters that together we may go to the world as a community of God's presence, as that marvelous river of life. Because the God that has called you to him has also called you to be a part of his church, to participate in that life of the church for the benefit of the whole body. And he has charged that body with continuing in the mission of his son, Jesus Christ, to a world that is very much in need until he reconciles all things to himself. There is a goodness to be found here but we must challenge ourselves to resist that messaging which prioritizes ourselves over one another. If we are the body of Christ, we are modeled after the one who Philippians 2 tells us being in very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. The church really isn't about me, or you, or us. That man, Jesus Christ, is the model for the church, and so as Jesus' life was for the sake of others and for the sake of the world itself, so too our life together as the body of Christ is for the sake of the world and continues to be for the sake of others. So may God bless us and encourage us as we consider how to provoke one another to love and justice, not neglecting to meet together. 
And may God give us assurance of the knowledge that we are being formed into a holy temple in the Lord for the sake of a world that needs his presence and his life. Amen. Let's pray together. God, you are building something that it's hard for us to see sometimes. You are knitting us together in ways that it's difficult to imagine. And so we pray that you would give us eyes to see those signs of life springing out of this community, the rivers of life and goodness that you are using through our hands and our actions, through our encouragement and words to bring life to each other and to people who have never known you. We pray that we would continue to be mindful that we are being formed in the likeness of your son. And this is not a selfish likeness, but it's entirely self-giving. And so as we are sometimes tempted, we pray that you would encourage us to, to see our brothers and sisters, to see the people in this world who bear your image, and to know that we have been called for their sakes and not our own. We pray these things in Jesus' name, who we so long to be like. Amen.